Thanks for listening to the Women Emerging podcast. Every week we put up a new episode with insights into leadership, practical leadership, seen through the eyes of women leaders of all ages and all sectors from right across the world. Our aim is for women to be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and join Women Emerging on our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org for more fabulous free leadership content. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Julia Middleton, Director of Women Emerging and your podcast host. For the last few weeks, I have been talking to women about their journey as leaders, but asking them to sort of illustrate the great moments when they've discovered or learned something new and illustrate that with an object. And to almost talk about what they learned through through the eyes of the object. And it has been delicious. We started with Utara, who talked about oh so many things. She runs an NGO in India. And then then we had Paula. Paula is originally from Argentina and she creates films. Then oh, then we had Stella from Kenya who is a doctor and an absolute global leader in public health. And now we're going back to India. We've got Lulu, who is a businesswoman, an entrepreneur, a woman who understands advertising and has made that her life's work. It was delicious talking to her about her objects because they were actually quite surprising. They were a sort of weird combination starting, yeah, you will not believe this, but with her school blazer. Hold with it. It's actually, it's really very interesting, a school blazer with badges all over it. And then space and the building she chose for her business. And then a spreadsheet That's fascinating. A spreadsheet with red marks all over it. And then a boarding pass. (laughs) I'll let her tell you that story. And then last of all, Zoom. Weird. Zoom. Why Zoom? Well, we'll come back to that. But let us start with Lulu and her school blazer. Rumour has it that your first object is a school blazer and I, I close my eyes and imagine you in it. But go on, tell me why why is it a school blazer? You know, if I think back, Julia, think about when was it that I was first aware that I'm a leader. Yeah. It was when I was appointed as school prefect of Cathedral and John Connon School in Mumbai when I was in grade 12. I was also housed vice captain, badminton captain, and basketball captain. We had a beautiful uniform. I had a blazer. I had all of these badges, which had school prefect, vice captain, badminton captain. Oh, Lula, I would have hated you at school. (laughs) You would have. And we had this sash for the uniform and it had four colors of the houses, which meant that, you know, you were across them as a school prefect. And for me, Julia, that was the first time when I realized that this was a visible signal of leadership. 
that I was a role model that people were looking up to. I had to be conscious of how I spoke, how I behaved. We had senior school starting in grade eight all the way to grade 12. And people are watching you. I really think that my disciplined approach, today a lot of people say that one of my core attributes is discipline. People ask me, how do you do it all? How do you fit so much in? How do you work out every day? How do you get all your work done? In many ways, it goes back to discipline. And for me, my school blazer was a manifestation of discipline I had over so many years, which is perhaps why I was made a prefect. And I was asked to lead as part of the prefect team in school. So for me, when I think back, my desire to lead and to inspire others was born from that seminal moment. Have you still got the blazer? You know, I don't have the blazer. I really regret it. I have photos of me in it. And look at it. I have this great sense of pride because I really think that sowed the seeds of my ambition and what I wanted to be. How did you make sure... Because if you were going to run a school tomorrow, would you have that system? Probably not, because it's a choice. There are parents today who still like that traditional school. And to be honest, my kids were in the same school till ninth grade, but they both opted out of it to go to a different kind of school. Would I do it? Probably not, because I'm very much more laissez-faire in my approach or what I believe in, but I can't deny the fact that the rigor and discipline of the schooling that I had made me who I am. It's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you probably wouldn't have the blazer, but you'd have some other symbolic way that was perhaps more modern to send a message to young women that they can be leaders. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And maybe it's not uniform. Maybe it's tonality. Maybe it's behavioral. Maybe it's a buddy system where you have a big sister. In college, we had big sisters who guided us, which was more of a mentoring relationship. But these people were invisible. See, the thing about this was it was very visible that you were a leader. It was a signal. It was a signal to yourself and it was a signal to others. I think signaling is important. Yes, absolutely. And how did you make sure that that power didn't go to your head? That's a really good point. You know, we did, we did throw our weight around every now and then because from the eighth graders, we had to make sure that the students cut their nails, they had their hair put in place. It was quite a strict school and we had house points. So for junior people who didn't do it, you had negative points. So we had to, as the captains and vice captains, we had to patrol the school and make sure everyone in our house did it. It, it could get to you. And there were people who were more arrogant. But I think I was lucky. It was just not my personality to be bombastic and be too dominating over other people. So I enjoyed it, but I didn't overdo it. How interesting. Was it your parents who made sure that it didn't go to your head? That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Probably, you know, I think I was also conscious, Julia, I'm an only child. 
And people in India always feel that only children are spoiled children because they have everything or they have all of their parents' resources. And I was made aware of that very early on where parents' friends or family members would say, oh, you're an only child, you must be so spoiled. And so at every step of the way, I tried to prove that I was not spoiled because I was always conscious that people would say I was spoiled. So I was always more respectful, more humble, more wanting to please others rather than to, you know, be the one that put other people down. So how did this blazer play out into your leadership in future years? I think it made me want to keep aspiring for leadership positions. When I started work, I remember when we used to do workshops, I was always the, you know, the cheerleader, the school teacher, the one that was galvanizing the troops and instructing and guiding. And so I think that played out a role. And then as I grew in my career, which comes to my second moment, Julia, the first eight years of my career, I was an individual contributor as a brand consultant. But in 2008, when I moved back to India, I had the opportunity to set up Landor in India. And I originally was working from home, but the minute I was hiring the first person, a lovely lady by the name of Ghazala Vanviti, I had to think of an office space. And I said, you know, it's not me, an individual contributor. I am now a team leader. And I had to start broadening my perspective. And so this is where my second object comes in because I had to think of a space for our growing team. It was one person and then two and then three and then four and five. And I started to think about how I was going to hold all of these people together in a space. So the space played a role in Mumbai. I chose the office space of Gray Advertising. They had a beautiful office in Perel, two stories with a grand staircase, glass windows from the bottom to the ceiling. And it was so grand, Julia, that on weekends it used to be rented out by Bollywood. Many of the big Bollywood movies like Jab We Met have their scenes in gray. That was really special because for me, space and shared values was my first step in moving from an individual contributor who could just be working from anywhere to a team leader who is rising up the ranks. Let's go back to that space and then team values. Space matters a lot. Hugely, hugely. I think it can have a very positive impact on the energy, the motivation, the vibe. I mean, there's a reason that workspace design exists as a multi-billion dollar industry. The way that office environments are designed. Give me an example of a design. So example of a design is that there are no cabins. It's open space. People can see each other. There's a lot of room to move around. There are uh, spaces for meetings, but otherwise it's an open plan office. Lots of light that's coming in. Comfortable spaces for lounging. So very 
thoughtful ways in which the same 2,000 square feet can be designed makes a huge difference on whether the team wants to wake up and come to work every day. But, and I think people have forgotten that with COVID because with Zoom, we've managed to do so much. But I can tell you, Julia, our experiments here post-COVID, just having an inspiring office environment where people want to come and collaborate makes a huge difference to creativity and the quality of the work that teams can produce. You know, the water cooler conversation, the little relaxation that you have when you speak to colleagues, the physical proximity, you can't have that on Zoom. You just can't. And you get stressed out and burnt out. A lot of that is elevated when you come to work, not even counting the time you take for the commute and the time you go home, which is almost like switching on and switching off, which people don't have when they're at home. Absolutely. But that's interesting, isn't it? Something as huge and as big and as physical as space. But your third object is a spreadsheet with lots of red marks all over it. Well, that's because we started to grow and then we grew too fast and we didn't have enough revenue to support the number of people. So for a couple of months consecutively, I was seeing red on the spreadsheet, which meant that the revenue was not where it needed to be. The costs were much higher than where it needed to be. And for the first time in my life, I had to do a layoff. We were about 20 people and I had to let go of eight people because the cost structure just wouldn't support it. I think that's the moment when I became hugely empathetic as a leader while I was mandated to do it. I tried to do it in the most humane way possible. Sometimes when I look back, I wish I had done more to help the people who were laid off to find other jobs. But even today, Julia, when I look at spreadsheets, when I see red, I can feel that churn in my stomach because I was a young leader. I had to do it, but it's part of the leader's role to make those tough decisions as well. I think the spreadsheet for me, while it's painful, it's a reminder of my coming of age that as a leader, I had it in me to make the tough calls. I didn't delegate it to my superiors or ask somebody else in HR to do it. I took it on myself and did what needed to be done. And then I had to keep the rest of the team motivated and energized. And we had to bring the business back. And my boss, who was Australian at that time, he said, you know, you're doing great. Just keep going. It's just one project that will start to turn it around. So you need to keep going till you get that one. And it was, I think, three or four months later where we were just grinding away, getting, trying to get new business. And finally it turned. And then, you know, we've never looked back since then. But that spreadsheet still gives me the heebie-jeebies. And is the heebie-jeebies also because suddenly the responsibility of leadership sort of hit hard? Yeah, because up to then it was, you know, you're coasting, it's all good. When you're good, you don't... Yeah, you're in, you're in your blazer, you've <laughs> got all the badges, everybody thinks you're brilliant, and then suddenly a spreadsheet with red marks comes all over it. 
Exactly, exactly. Responsibility of leadership, responsibility to the business, but also responsibility to your team. You know, I read much later a line from Simon Sinek where he says that everyone you take into your company is like a family member. So be careful of who you take in because once you take them in, you're responsible for them and you have to treat them with the utmost care and love. You can't just, you know, hire and fire. And that, as I said, was the maturing of me because subsequently after that, I was really thinking hard about the people who became part of our team. Are these people who I would fight for till my dying day or would do anything to help should the business be in trouble again? So yes, responsibility it really did wake me up to the responsibility of leadership. And as I said, it's a fine balance, Julia, between people and business. Yes. And you were saying you learned empathy, but you also learned something else then, didn't you? Empathy and also... Toughness. Toughness. Also, you know, you're dealing with fragile egos. Nobody wants to say, why was I on that list? What have I done? And sometimes it's just cost. Sometimes, you know, maybe those person's skills are not as suited. But nobody wants an explanation or no explanation will justify to a person who's being laid off why they were on that list. So really dealing with fragile egos and people's sense of self-worth. And you're messing with that. You can mess people up for life if you handle that conversation badly. And so this true responsibility as a leader. Absolutely. Which takes you to your fourth object? My fourth object was the leader could dominate too much and leaders need to get out of the way. I learned this the painful way. So about 10 years ago, one winter morning, my client director, design director and I were taking a flight to Delhi. We had a big FMCG pitch. It was the first FMCG pitch, which is consumer packaged goods, CPG, as they call it in the US and UK. We were working only with corporate brands till then. And this was a high stakes pitch. We had to win it. So we were all excited, also anxious. We get to the airport, Julia. There's fog in Delhi and the flight is delayed. Oh my gosh, we're going to miss it. But luckily, within a couple of hours, they announced boarding. So we think we're going to make it. And then I get onto the tarmac, you know, get on the bus, go to the plane. I'm just about to board the plane when I couldn't find my boarding pass. <laughs> I printed boarding pass and they deplaned me. You won't believe it. I was like, I, I pulled out my Blackberry and I showed them my email confirmation of the ticket. And they said, no, ma'am, you don't have a physical printed ticket. I said, I had it. How would I have gotten all the way to the plane here? I've gotten through so many rounds of security. They were like, well, check, is it on you? I checked my bag, I checked my pockets. It, that freaking boarding pass was nowhere to be seen. And they deplaned me. Meanwhile, my client director and design director are calling me on the phone, total panic. They've never done a pitch by themselves. They were so scared and the next flight was too late. So I missed the pitch. You know, just when I was leaving, I told this Indigo woman, 
I was like, come on, I can't be the first idiot who has done this. You must have some precedent. She looked at me very calmly and she said, no, ma'am, you are. And I was so mortified, Julia, but my stupidity turned out to be a blessing in disguise for our client director because it was that one opening she needed to come out of my shadow and become her own. I was not there. Suddenly, she got that confidence. She won the pitch for us. She went on to win many more pitches without me. And she's one of our superstar executive directors today. She just needed that one opening to believe in herself. So for me, that boarding pass is a reminder to get out of the way as a leader. Sometimes we can dominate too much. We think without us, nothing can happen. It's an illusion. And so the experiment is just get out of the way. People will figure it out. And I love that story because, you know, people laugh when we tell that story at our company because of, firstly, it's funny. People can't believe that happened. But also because a leader can be so open and self-deprecating, it allows other people to also not be afraid to make mistakes. And I think the vulnerability of the leader is so important for that psychological safety of the team. And when there's psychological safety, it creates retention, more engagement, more satisfaction. And, you know, I've built this over the years, a culture of people centricity, passion for creativity, openness, teamwork, willingness to take risks and to go above and beyond to create the extraordinary. This year, in fact, Julia, I'm so proud to tell you that Lando and Fitch India was awarded great place to work and we had 95% acceptance of favorability from our employees. So that culture piece, you know, culture attracts amazing talent, yeah. nurtures the talent to do their best work, which attracts our clients. So it all starts with culture and leaders, if they are vulnerable, they can create a much more authentic culture. How did that girl in that blazer who was so efficient possibly lose her boarding pass? What's your system now? You will not believe it. When I went home, the boarding pass was at the bottom of my bag. I was just so flustered. At that moment, I couldn't find it. It wasn't anywhere else. It was at the bottom of my handbag. And you know how... Chaotic handbags can be. So my system now is I put it in a zipped pocket along with either my ID or my passport. It's as precious as my phone. So it's my phone, my passport and my boarding pass. But now it's not as important, but I still have that fear in India. When I travel abroad, I know that it's not a big deal. But yeah, I check everything because that, you know, the scar of that indigo deplaning is still with me. But that's also, isn't it, an expression I use often, you know, you have to have your eyes on the hills and your feet on the ground. As a leader, you have to both inspire and create that culture, but you also have to be incredibly efficient, well-organized, got it all there, and even so confident in your own efficiency that you knew that the burning pass would have been at the bottom of the bag. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, yeah, when I look back upon it, I just cannot believe that I made a mistake like that because 
you don't want to make such mistakes, right? Such costly mistakes. One of my colleagues, so, but as leaders, we have to be extra responsible. I mean, these, these excuses, you know, we all make mistakes. Yes. But as you rightly said, you need to be extra organized and efficient. And then prepared to admit it. In fact, you empower other people with your own mistakes. I think so. I hope so. I don't know. Why Zoom? Why Zoom your last one? Zoom, of all things. Zoom. The reason that Zoom is my last one is because two years ago, when the integration of Lando and Fitch happened, I became the managing director of India during COVID. So I only had the Zoom platform to get to know my leadership team, to get to know the entire Fitch, ex-Fitch team. So we were only about 20, 25 people at Lando and the Fitch team was about 75. And I, I was not their leader. I didn't know them. And I had to do it all on Zoom, Julia. So, you know, I did listening tours with the senior leaders. I spent one-on-one -on -one time with them. With the leadership team, we devised all sorts of activities and engagement time on Zoom. We had a whole program of events to merge these two cultures. So doing an integration of two very different cultures, but doing it on Zoom was one of the biggest challenges in my career. That's why I picked it, because for almost a year and a half before we were allowed back into our physical office space, we had to run the business, run it well, make the team happy and forge a unified culture all from our living rooms. And what did that teach you about leadership? That anything's possible? Anything is possible. Also that don't make excuses. You've got to get the job done no matter what. I could have sat there and said, well, it's Zoom, people aren't engaged, people aren't turning their video on. I don't know if they're paying attention. I can't get people to attend. No excuses. I knew that I had to show results, but I had to do it in a very positive way. I couldn't beat people up because then that would be the end of me. And so I liked the fact that we had these constraints. It was the first time as a leader that I had such a massive goal to accomplish with such a Herculean task of not being physically together, either with the leadership team, because we had to drive the agenda, we had to bond together. Imagine all of this was done on Zoom and then with the, the entire office, not even counting the actual work that had to be done by teams that had never met each other, never interacted, and now we were going to market as one company. It was quite a task. So I learned humility. Why did that, why did that teach you humility? It taught me humility because I had to assume that the other person knew nothing about me. Everybody at Landor knew me. I had already spent so many years at Landor. So I was a known entity to Landor employees. I was a completely unknown entity to the Fitch team. And while they were told that I was going to be their leader, they had to feel it every step of the way. I couldn't assume that any of them had even bothered to Google me or understand my background. I just assumed that they hadn't. And so starting from scratch, really 
getting to know every individual, understanding them, not telling them about me, but understanding their aspirations, their anxieties about work, understanding where they wanted to go. So really leaving aside all the impressions that you have of yourself that you think might impress others, it really taught me that start with the clean slit. And if you'd gone in there saying, you know, I'm a great success in my side, yeah, yeah. you had to that go in. It, it would have completely bombed. It completely would have bombed. And so I think the first two, three months of just listening to people, giving them the time, I had to squeeze in the time over and above all of the client work because the other thing is I couldn't let the revenue drop either. I was the head of the smaller entity that was given the job. And so there was more pressure to get it right. Would you add another object, which is either your marriage certificate or the birth certificate of your child as being important moments in your leading? That's a hard choice to make, both in different ways. Do I have to choose one? No. Tell me why you choose both of them. I would say marriage certificate because my husband has been my biggest critic. While I have found it difficult at times to digest what he was saying, he's always pushed me to dream more, to be limitless. And he's played quite an important role. And in fact, his own career and movements gave me the opportunities to hop around the world as well. So I don't think I would be where I am today had I not got married to him. So that marriage and the role that he's played is super important as well. The birth of my two daughters brought out a much softer side of me. You know, I, while I was this achieving, success-oriented person, after my kids were born, I realized that I was this person of unconditional love and nurturing and actually it changed the way I lead, Julia, because I was less harsh with feedback. You know, for every one dose of negative feedback I gave, I would give 10 doses of positive feedback, just the way you do with growing kids. You don't want to destabilize them too much. A lot of warmth and affection and love. I just discovered a different side of me because with girls and you know, my girls certainly brought that out in me. Somehow, I didn't have it in me to be the tiger mom the way you would have imagined me with the blazer and my own life story and discipline. So it's paradoxical the way it played out. Lulu, thank you so very, very, very much. I cannot wait to see the picture of you in your school blazer. I, I maintain my my original position that you are the kind of girl that if I'd known at school, I would have totally and utterly hated. <laughs> I never had a school blazer and never got any badges and never led anything sports. But I totally understand what you're saying about that. And it is fascinating how important education is. And education has to create women who lead. 
and who know they can lead. I won't forget that word bombastic. You used it. It was a, it's an extraordinary word. Bombastic. How do you make sure that you don't become a leader who is bombastic? Good question. Then space. Got it. Then the spreadsheet. Absolutely got it. Those spreadsheets with red marks all over them that make your stomach churn. And it is quite right that they do make your stomach churn. But somehow you have to survive them when you're leading. And then the boarding pass that makes you look like such an idiot, but actually empowers everybody else and encourages you to get out of the way, which must be one of the most important things that leaders must do. And then the last one, Zoom. Interesting. I think in there, there were two expressions you use that absolutely stick with me. Don't use excuses. I felt, I felt during COVID, there were people who were deeply, deeply suffering. There were also people who almost used Zoom and the fact that we had to learn to lead over Zoom as an excuse not to lead. And then, yes, there were people like you who would never use it as an excuse and just makes it somehow work. Because I love that expression, they were told I was going to be their leader, but I had to make sure that they felt it. That was fascinating. It was me who added in those two questions at the end about marriage certificate and birth certificate. It's because while I was listening to you, Lulu, I remembered something that was said on a podcast episode months ago about why don't we as women use our experience of mothering, motherhood, motherness as an example of something that taught us about leaders. It, it just came back, which, and so I couldn't not ask you, but your answer was, was lovely, was beautiful and certainly resonated with me. So thank you, Lulu, enormously. And thank you to everybody for listening and looking forward to the five objects next week. Lots of love in the meantime, Julia. To become part of our movement and share your thinking with us, subscribe to the podcast and join the Women Emerging group on our website at womenemerging.org. We love all of the messages you send us. Keep them coming.